The first reading is from Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. The next reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 17. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not illegitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ must make anyone's life better. Coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ must make anyone's life better. Or so you would think. Here's the thing. For the readers of Hebrews, the first readers, that New Testament book we're making the focus of this present sermon series, coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ made life worse. Yes, made things worse. 
We don't know the details, but there's enough in Hebrews to get a picture of real hardship, not despite, but because of their coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 10, 30, 32, 33, in which the writer reminds them of what it was like when they first believed, some, some 15 years ago or so, we think, before Hebrews was written. Quote, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated, unquote. And apparently that's continuing for them when Hebrews is written to them. Now the issue for those readers and the theme of this sermon, if I may respectfully suggest the issue for you, is what should you make of such hardship? What should you make of such hardship? And in today's sermon from chapter 12, verse 4 and following of Hebrews, the writer seeks to help his readers reframe their suffering. That is, to see their sufferings because of Christ in a new and much more helpful light to change how they understand what's going on in a way that enables them to cope much better, to reframe it. That's the issue and the theme of today's sermon. But first, let me ask, what are some of the ways you might approach difficulty and hardship? Here's three. In the face of suffering, you might simply have to say, life happens. That is, there is no meaning as such in this trouble. It's just the way things sometimes happen in a perfect world. A creation, quote, subject to frustration, as St. Paul puts it in Romans 8. And often, that's all that can be said. Or secondly, you might say in the face of suffering, well, frankly, I brought this on myself. I've done something stupid, and I've made a foolish decision, and that's where the troubles come from. And sometimes you'd be right. Or thirdly, you might react to suffering by taking it as a sign that for some reason God is against you. Things are going terribly, so God must be punishing me, or maybe God hates me. Well, sometimes there could be a bit of truth in that. In the biblical story, God does sometimes bring his wrath or his trouble on people, either to punish them or to help them turn back to him. Though I wouldn't come too quickly about that conclusion about any personal situation, very cautious about jumping to that conclusion. On the other hand, let me warn you that to attribute bad motives to God is a dangerous step on the sad road to unbelief. There are some of the possible reactions to hardship. Now, we don't know which of these or what the first readers of Hebrews had in their ongoing suffering and distress, except that they were coming exhausted and ready to give up on Jesus. Well, whatever it was, here in Hebrews 12, 4, the writer seeks to reframe their suffering and distress. That is, to see it in a new way, a way that actually helps his readers persevere and keep going with renewed energy. Here's how he does it. And by the way, this is not just useful for the first readers, it is also useful for you and for me. Let's look at Hebrews verse 12, chapter 4 and following. Having urged them to look to the example of Jesus as we heard last Sunday from Justin. Now here in verse four, the author first reminds them that things are not as bad as they could be. Verse four, 
speaking of Jesus who suffered death, then was raised, the writer says in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to shedding of blood. In other words, it could be worse. Now, I'm not sure how helpful that actually was to the first readers of to the Hebrews. But don't worry, he then makes his big move, a move to the positive reframing of their suffering. He cites the words from Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, from his Greek translation of scripture, and takes them as have been spoken to the readers. Let me read verse 5 and 6 of chapter 12. And have you completely forgotten, he says, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, then he quotes Proverbs, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And then in verse 7, the author applies it to their situation. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. Endure hardship as discipline. That's the reframing. God is treating you as children. Now let me unpack this by saying something about education or training in the ancient world, then something about it today, and then how the author uses that to reframe the reader's experience. And then when I've done that, I'm going to ask two further questions. One, how is this supposed to work? And two, can this reframing of difficulty reply to situations other than suffering for Christ as well? So there we are. Two questions after seeing how the author reframes their distress from the point of view of education in the ancient world. Let's start with education and training in the ancient world. When the author says, endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as children, he has in mind a certain model of child rearing. The word translated discipline is the Greek word padia, meaning training or education, from which the modern word pedagogy comes from and means something like the practice and method of teaching. However, the other words he uses also in Proverbs, rebukes, chastens, as well as the choice of our translators as padia as discipline, indicates that he has in mind what we might call a rather rigorous method of training or education that's in view. Today, on the whole, people look askance at corporal punishment in child rearing. Though sometimes capital punishment does seem, but sometimes what you might want to do. But in the ancient world, corporal punishment was all the go. Let me take you to another, other Proverbs on child rearing in the ancient world and in the biblical world to see what I mean. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. One who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your children, for then in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. And Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Punish them but punish with a rod and save them from death. Now, there are three recurring themes in these texts. One, 
the theme that children are naturally foolish and that this places them in danger. That is, without training, a child will grow up in a way that threatens them with death, either from their own stupidity or possibly from the judgment of God. Secondly, the theme is, if you love your child, you'll strain them so they'll not be dangerously foolish anymore. You'll try and stop the dangerous foolishness in them by training them. Thirdly, there's a theme, this training may be painful for the child, the rod, but good for them in the long run. Yes, this is not student-centred learning. Now, I don't think you can draw a straight line from these texts to mandate corporal punishment as the biblical way to raise kids, as some do. But it is clear that this does picture children as needing discipline and training in order to become proper functioning adults. And I mean, that's not controversial at all, really. It's true today, even if the methods may vary. I recently read an op-ed in the Sydney Morning Herald by university academic Jenna Price about the alarming rise in narcissistic behaviour and aggression among students of all ages, university students, senior students, primary age students. She puts it down to bad parenting. She says, and I quote, there is a direct line between the kind of parenting we do and the kind of children we rear. In fact, just this morning I noticed she put a note out telling people these are parents of university students not to come with their children to open days at university. Let the children stand their own two feet. Now, Price does not recommend, does not go so far as recommend the use of the rod. But she does write about the need to get in early to prevent narcissistic behaviour in children by discipline, setting boundaries, training them to exercise self-discipline and to take responsibility for their own actions and so forth and so on. Now, the point I want to make is this. Even without the physical punishment of the ancient world, such training is often painful for the child. Painful, but done in love for the good of the child. That's how it goes. Now, the writer of Hebrews wants his readers to think of their hardship as such painful training for their good. That's the reframing. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. The suffering they're experiencing at the hand of unbelievers, in that God is at work for their good. Endure suffering as discipline. The Lord is treating you as children. That's the reframing. In fact, he goes on to say that this is actually a sign of being a genuine child of God, not that God's rejected you. The rest of verse 7 and verse 8. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. That's the other words, your parents don't care. The caring and discipline shows you're, you're the real thing. In fact, it's not a sign that God doesn't care. The painful training is a sign of God's care for their good. Verse 9, quote, Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us 
for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And what greater good is there to share in God's holiness, without which he says about shortly, you will not see God. Finally, it's all a question of perspective. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. With this new perspective, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. He calls his readers to action in the words that follow. Verse 12, therefore, he says, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled but rather healed, what I call the physiotherapist verse. In other words, get on with it. Verse 14, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord, and so on and so on. You heard it in the reading. Okay, let's recap where we've got to. The readers of Hebrews are having a hard time that's wearing them down. The author wants to help them by, by, to keep them going by encouraging them to reframe their hardship as painful training for their good as God is treating them as genuine children. We noted the rather rigorous child-rearing methods of the ancient world and that even if today it's not so rigorous, there is still a painful side for a child being trained for responsible adulthood. And a good parent loves their child, will do that. And, therefore we, and then we saw how the author invites his readers to take that model to understand their, their own experience, their ongoing experience of hardship. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Or verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Now for those two further questions. One question, how does it work? How does hardship actually train us for our good? In what sense is it training? And two, for the readers of Hebrews, this issue was about the hardship they suffered on account of Christ. The question is, can the same reframing be applied to other troubles as well? So the two questions, one, does it work? Two, how widely can the reframing be applied? First question, how does this work? How does hardship act as training for our good? The problem is that the author of Hebrews does not give an answer to that question. The author simply asserts that it is so. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I think we can say this though, the author thinks that in all this, the attitude of his readers to the hardship is crucial. That is, by reframing hardship as training, it can become training. More on this in a moment. 
but their attitude to it is crucial. That's why he's telling them to change their attitude, reframing it. So it will actually be framing, actually be training. Okay, the good news is I found three other passages in the New Testament which do give us an idea of how sufferings are able to do believers good. They're from three diverse writers, St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. James. So let me leave Hebrews for a moment and seek wisdom from these three on how it works. Let's start with Paul. Page 914 of the Church Bible in Romans 5. He writes, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then in verse 3 he adds, not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So here's St. Paul. Suffering, he says, to be gloried in because suffering produces perseverance. And that leads to further Christian virtue. Interestingly, although he's very different style from Paul, James says much the same thing in chapter 1, page 977, verses 2 and 4. I quote, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He goes on then, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So we have both James and Paul both saying that suffering should be welcomed, paradoxically, because they produce perseverance. Welcome because they produce perseverance. Now I think we need to add that they, what they're saying here is approach the right way, suffering produces perseverance. Approach the right way, they produce perseverance. And approaching the right way is approaching with a kind of faith Justin spoke to us about the last two Sundays from Hebrews 11 and beginning of 12. In themselves, sufferings can have the opposite effect as they're threatening to do for the readers of Hebrews. Approach them the wrong way can let them lead to bitterness and excuse for morality. That's it, I'm out of here. It happens to me. I mean, that's what he warns about in chapter 12, verse 15 of Hebrews. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's, that's a possibility with, 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 with hardship. But approaching the right way will lead to the believer growing stronger, says St. Paul, says St. James. And the writer of Hebrews implies the same. What he produces, says James and Paul, is perseverance which trains the believer to further virtue. It's James who gives us a clue how this works. He writes, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that word for testing, the Greek dokimon, dokimon I'm glad that, that um, Anne's not here today, that would help me, has the sense of a process of proving or checking how genuine something is. It's, it's a process of putting something to test or under stress and that the stressing of itself both shows what's genuine and it results in, in the thing being stressed becoming stronger. 
That's, that's the image here. The testing of your faith, he says, produces perseverance. In our third text, Peter uses exactly the same word when he also writes about the good of suffering. And he uses it here for the result of the testing rather than the testing itself. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, page 980, he writes, In all this, your coming salvation, you greatly rejoice, although now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth of gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same word. Suffering, refining faith. And without saying as much, I think that's what the writer of the Hebrews has in mind when he says of hardship, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I need to add that I think this, there is one area where the analogy with parental discipline does break down. With parental discipline, there is a one-to-one -one link, a direct link between a particular specific wrong and suffering for it. Whack, you know, right? But that's not what happens when God uses hardship of discipline. There's no such direct line. For the readers of Hebrews, their hardship is painful training, but not specific punishment as such. The process, I think we can understand it, is like in other forms of training, like physical training. At present, I am doing a whole lot of exercises that my nice physiotherapist has given me for my, my knees, which have got arthritis. What are these exercises? Putting various muscles in my legs under stress, sometimes painful stress. The result is, well, I'm told it's going to be anyway, making those muscles stronger and therefore helping my knees. Painful stress that makes stronger. That's the promise, at least. And I think that's what Paul, James, and Peter mean about the link between suffering and perseverance and what the unnamed author of Hebrews is alluding to as well. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. The process is circular, or rather spiral-like. Sufferings and hardship are approached with faith. Faith that God is allowing this so that you can grow, grow in perseverance. And as you do persevere, your faith can become stronger. And from the experience of hanging in there, which maybe you thought you couldn't have done, you have more confidence and so forth. And as that perseverance becomes habitual at his practice, it becomes a virtue, becomes part of your character. You grow in virtue. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, of course, all this teaching is completely contrary to contemporary culture. Perseverance and discipline look very much out of place in a world where the top virtues today are authenticity, self-care and vulnerability. This is very countercultural. 
Lastly, and uh, my second question then, can this reframing of trouble as a God-given opportunity, a God-sending opportunity for growth, for growing in perseverance, growing in, in Christian virtue, can that be applied to our other troubles as well? Or is it only for situations, <coughs> excuse me, directly the same as the readers of Hebrews, that is, explicit suffering because of Christ? Now, I ask this question because we found when discussing this passage a month or so ago in our Bishop's Bible study on Thursdays at 10.30, all welcome, very few of us, as we discuss this, we discover that very few of us ever experience dire suffering because of Christ. Unlike, I might say, our fellow believers around the world. This sermon would sound very different indeed in North Korea or in much of the Muslim world, or sub-Saharan Africa, or even in China today. But we still do experience suffering, other sufferings, sickness, disappointment, frustration, loss, mental illness, and so on. We all suffer those things. Can the reframing of Hebrews 12 be applied to such things as these? Is it open to us, not just openness, should we in fact embrace these troubles and hardships also as painful training? I think we can. I think that every hardship can be seen as painful training, that is a God-given opportunity as pain to grow in perseverance and faith. And this is, this is true, even if, even though at the same time we're asking God to relieve us of this problem. This is not fatalism. Even if we ask God to relieve us of the hardship, the hardship can also be a painful training opportunity sent to us by God. I believe that. Painting. That is, approach the right way, approach the right way, any hardship can be training, albeit painful training. Certainly the Book of Common Prayer which is a standard of doctrine and worship for our church, think so. In that book, there is an order for the visitation of the sick, which was written in the 16th century. I often think about how different the world was back then and how often clergy would visit sick because it was a world of plagues and we have no, no idea what it was like when this book was written. There is a kind of homily given to the minister to say to the sick person, what shall you say? Here's what you could say. And the words include these words, and I quote, this is what the minister's saying to the sick person about their sickness. Quote, take therefore in good part the chastisement of the Lord. For, as St. Paul saith in the 12th chapter of, to the Hebrews, whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth, and scourgeth everyone whom he receiveth. And so on, goes right down, applying this passage to the sick person. Now, the Book of Common Prayer may be wrong, may be wrong about the identity of the author of the Hebrews. But it's surely not wrong in understanding or rather reframing sickness as painful training from God, even as it prays for the sick person's recovery from sickness. Interestingly, this use of Hebrews 12 has gone out of favour in recent times. 
the two more recent prayer books created to supplement the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church of Australia, namely an Australian prayer book of 1978 and a prayer book for Australia of 1995, make no mention of Hebrews 12 in the lists of appropriate scriptures for use in ministering to the sick. That's interesting and I think it's a mistake. I think it's a loss. Well, thank you for your patience. I know I've been, it's been a long sermon. So here's the conclusion at last. Life can be hard. You and I will have no choice but to face hardships. Perhaps because of Christ, as were the first readers of Hebrews, and most certainly for all kinds of other causes. And we have a choice about what to do in such hardships, even as we rightly seek to ameliorate them. The one thing we can do, the one thing the author of Hebrews urges us to do, is regard such hardships as God sent opportunities. Opportunities for training. Painful training may be, but training and growing stronger in faith, in perseverance and in the love of God. If we do this, so it will be. I know this is very easy to say, much harder to apply. I'm well aware of that. But we too can hear these words as addressed to each of us. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for this teaching and this reframing from the author of to the Hebrews. And we pray you'll help us by your Holy Spirit truly take this wisdom and apply it in our own contexts that we may benefit even from things that are hard. And Lord, we're aware that amongst us today there are some of us here or perhaps listening to the live stream for whom there's particularly difficult suffering. And Lord, we don't want to make light of that and we don't want them to feel that we are making light of that. No, far from it. We ask, Lord, in your great mercy, enable them to, in the midst of their distress, to still find in it an opportunity to grow closer to you and stronger in Christian virtue. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>